0: from KQED. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. One in seven tenants in California did not pay rent on time last month, according to a survey by the U.S. Census Bureau. And nearly one in six doesn't expect to pay on time this month either, as the coronavirus pandemic keeps many unemployed. Now, key eviction protections are close to expiring. State lawmakers are weighing proposals to prevent what they fear will become a mass wave of evictions, while offering some relief to landlords too. But they face a budget deficit with help from the federal government, uncertain. We take a deeper look at the state's looming eviction crisis with Sam Levin, Los Angeles correspondent for The Guardian U.S. Sam Levin, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Also with us is Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer for KQED News. Hi, Joe.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. So, Joe, uh, I will start with you. Renters in California are protected for now by state and local eviction moratoriums, but these provisions, some key ones, are are set to expire this month. Actually, can you tell us which ones?
2: Sure. Yeah. There's 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 a uh, uh, moratoriums that scale down from the state to the county to city level, and at the state level, a judicial council uh, 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 a decision or order that would have seen Uh, The moratorium go through uh, the pandemic actually was uh, repealed for August 14th. So lawmakers are really rushing to get something together for a statewide moratorium to replace that Judicial Council order, um, that is set to end on August 14th. And also at the local level, there's, you know, cities have their own and counties have their own that are set to expire either at the end of August or the end of September, though some of them have had them on a rolling basis. The one thing that is, you know, important to remember with this is that a lot of the local county orders, the moratoriums rely on the state's order. So some of those may not protect people when the state's order uh, ends.
0: Which is in part why we have lawmakers scrambling to come up with proposals for a longer-term fix, since clearly the effects of the pandemic are not abating in terms of unemployment and lost income. Can you describe uh, Assemblyman David Chu's bill?
2: Well, you know the, the 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 beauty of Chu's bills that's twofold: one, that it would keep um, the eviction moratorium in place for the duration of the pandemic. Uh, and would uh, uh, allow some time for rent to be repaid afterwards, but at the same time, it, just recently he uh, amended it to include protections for uh, landlords, homeowners as well. So units, uh, four units or less, people who own those sorts of buildings could get mortgage forbearance, which which is really important as you know uh, uh, losing that mortgage is is a threat all across the state. And
0: then. On the landlord side, in addition to what Chu is proposing, there has been some effort uh, by Senator Caballero to be able to help landlords. What is her proposal?
2: Yeah, it's 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 a, it's it's really necessary for for folks to really keep in mind landlords as well. Uh, the the data that showed that the landlords were also are are going to be completely uh, uh, unable to pay their mortgage across the state is a threat.
0: Yes, and uh, Sam Levin, I don't know if you have any more details on that, but my understanding is that it would give landlords tax credits to make up for rent payments that they are not receiving from their tenants. Uh, And if you have any more details on that, but also just on the general reaction to these proposals from tenants and landlords.
1: That's correct. Um, Senate Bill 1410 would give landlords tax credits to make up for missed rent payments. And it would allow tenants to have ten years to pay back their back rent, their owed debts, and they would do that through the state. Um, so it's essentially transferring the liabilities of the unpaid rent to the state for the next, you know, decade or so. Um, the general reactions that I'm hearing to both of these proposals is that, you know, at the very base level, legislators need to do something immediately and as soon as possible. Um, just given how quickly, this is all um, coming to a head. I think tenant groups are generally more in support of AB 1436, the first proposal mentioned, because it seems to have broader protections and, and kind of more strict protections for tenants in terms of avoiding evictions. But I think bigger picture, what we're also hearing is that none of these proposals really go far in terms of actually forgiving rent or addressing the issue of massive debts that folks are going to have and the reality is is that you're creating a whole sort of class of people who have not been able to pay rent this whole time and are not going to suddenly have that funding back and could be in debt for a very long time which has long-term consequences
0: just one yes sorry joe Fitzgerald rodriguez
1: yeah but the the risk there and the risk that folks
2: have identified is it puts a lot of burden on the state um both 1410 uh, as well with the idea that, you know, the the state would have to bear the burden um, for any rent not paid back uh, with 1436,
0: you know, Joe, I Fitzgerald Rodriguez, I think I did see some estimates that it could cost the state $10 billion uh, over a, several years, maybe a decade or so. Uh, For it to take on essentially having renters pay the state back by offering these tax credits to landlords and that is a real question for the state's taxpayers to consider. But at the same time, Sam Levin, you are raising an interesting point about these eviction moratoriums. It sounds like you're saying that there's a real question about how effective they will really be. I mean, for renters now, it sounds like many are saying that they are several months behind with little to no hope of being able to pay that money back, even when the economy or the pandemic is under control and the economy starts to come back a little bit.
1: Correct. I've talked to tenants who are, you know, have debts that are essentially $10,000 at this point that, you know, haven't paid for the last couple months and um, they're still not having the income they need to make up those debts. And so all of these measures are in place to avoid them being evicted now um, and to protect them from, you know, facing displacement However, long-term, there's not much of a solution that's been proposed at the state level here to address the fact that folks will have these debts. Um, I think this is meant to sort of kick the can down the road. Um, But, you know, I think there's serious questions about how, as a society, we're going to deal with this moving forward. And I think the reality is, is it would also be quite costly for the state if, you know, we were to have Exponential increases in homelessness, which is already a major crisis in the state if if folks are losing their housing and winding up in precarious situations or on the street living in cars, that is, of course, quite costly in, in many different avenues.
0: We're talking with Sam Levin, Los Angeles correspondent for The Guardian and Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer for KQED News about California's looming eviction crisis and concerns about how to help renters and landlords who are also unable to make their property or their mortgage payments. Are you a renter or landlord experiencing hardship because of the coronavirus pandemic? What policy proposals to help renters do you support? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at org, And we can start with Felona in Oakland. Hi, Felona, join us.
1: In Richmond, California. Um... I have a question about the tax credits that you're referring to. So my understanding is that this is a state law and my state taxes, and I think many people's state taxes um, amount in the hundreds of dollars per year. But when people get behind in rent, it quickly goes into the thousands of dollars per year uh, per month. So how does that work with tax credits on the state level? And would it affect the federal tax credits which would actually be a lot more substantial as far as assistance goes
0: sam levin sam levin do you have any insights for Uh, felona
1: to be honest i don't know the answer to that question it's quite complicated with these uh tax credits and it's a it's a really good question um and i'm not sure how that that works you know in the way that the bill is proposed
0: but she's you know, also, you know, yeah, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, go ahead.
2: One, one thing I would point to that that question reveals is just how complex um, putting together the uh, a, a, a new eviction moratorium would be and why lawmakers are in such a scramble to August 14th. This is incredibly detailed work. This is incredibly expert work. And to get this done in the time frame that exists is one of the dangers and is one of the things that uh, lawmakers are staring down the barrel of right now.
0: Yes, and, and Fallon is also raising the federal government and the federal government's potential supports and role in all of this. I mean, what is the likelihood that they will come true with financial support in addition to potentially extending the federal moratorium on evictions?
2: Sorry, it's, it's, you know, that is the, you know, $600 a week question that everyone is worried about. You know, most, uh, uh, you know, kind of industry experts I've been speaking to lately say that the reason that the number of renters able to pay their rent right now is, you know, as high as it is, you know, even though people are still struggling, is because of that extra $600 per week. And without that, you know, that survey that you mentioned earlier, the the U.S. Census Bureau's Pulse Survey uh, might start to look a lot more dire.
0: And Sam Levin, it sounds like even as these moratoriums have been in place, even as local entities have tried to strengthen or extend some of the state efforts, that there have been that renters have been facing some pretty significant actions against them by property owners to try to force them to leave. Can you describe some of the things that you found in your reporting?
1: Correct. Uh, I've been reporting on this for a couple months since this began. And from the start, even with moratorium in place and protections in place, landlords have attempted to find ways around those laws, which are certainly not airtight and have significant loopholes. And so I've heard of you know particularly aggressive tactics like eventually locking out tenants when they aren't home or calling the police on renters for trespassing. One common tactic I've heard of in Los Angeles where I'm based is you know uh, landlords who are actually filing restraining orders to ban their tenants from entering their apartments. And so that's using a legal mechanism that's typically reserved for sort of harassment and stalking cases. Um, And I've also heard multiple cases where landlords have ended up shutting off electricity and other utilities, as well as just sort of threatening and vulgar harassment, intimidation, those type of tactics. And I think the big picture here is that, it's the burden falls on tenants to handle these situations, and the laws are incredibly complex, as we're talking about today. They're, they're hard to understand how the local mechanisms, you know, interact with the state mechanisms. And I, I think you know, there are certainly cases where tenants are finding themselves in a situation where they feel it's easier to leave, or they're essentially displaced, even if the law says they are not supposed to be.
0: One thing that I've been wondering about that Sam Levin is. Why are these efforts happening? My understanding is that the rental market is pretty soft right now. I mean, who would landlords rent to, given the fact that there seems to be either a lot of movement of people breaking leases and, and trying to go to live with parents if they have those options or other family members or even warnings from you know, physicians about going apartment hunting during a pandemic?
1: It's a great question. I I think that everyone, you know, is getting really desperate. And so I think that, you know, in some of the stories I'm hearing, you are getting the sense that some property owners are just desperate for, for rent. And that's why they're being very aggressive. At the same time, we are seeing rental prices drop in places like Oakland, where there's been significant increases in rent for a long time. And so there are questions about What their efforts are, you know, what the the final end is towards their efforts. However, I think if they're receiving no rent, they're desperate to get someone else in there. And the reality is, even with a lowered rent, you might be able to still collect some income when right now you might be connecting, you know, collecting very little. And so that's my sense of what they're seeking. Oh, I, see. I, I, I just want to add real quick there you know
2: it, it's not like these these um uh tactics aren't being challenged um they, they're you know in oakland for instance the oakland district attorney's office has really gotten involved uh with a uh, number of cases uh brought to them by attendance advocacy advocacy groups like uh, ace uh, alliance for uh, uh, californians for community empowerment uh, one immigrant family i spoke to who you know fell behind on their rent and was depending on the moratorium to stay housed found defense from the Oakland District Attorney's Office. And so, you know, it's really important for if anyone is is seeing that kind of tactic against them to reach out to tenants organizations, to reach out to attorneys. Uh, There are ways to protect yourself.
0: And what are renters facing if they are pushed out or evicted, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez? I mean, I don't, while rents have gone down some, it doesn't sound like they've gone down significantly, especially not in the Bay Area where they were already so high to begin with.
2: Right. And, you know, I think this really brings to the point that, you know, these big numbers we're seeing across the state and across the country really to localize it. For instance, a study in Santa Clara County showed that, you know, as many as 44,000 people could be evicted if the moratoriums are not renewed soon. And that when that happens, uh, a, a huge portion of them, thousands of people could become homelessness set to Quadruple uh, Santa Clara County's homelessness count. Uh, landlords I spoke to across the Bay Area, um, small-time landlords who are actually some of whom are in favor of the eviction moratoriums, said that the reason they were in favor of it was because they were afraid that homelessness would increase if their tenants were were out in the street. It's a it's a very real problem we see with our own eyes, especially in the in the light of this pandemic, as we're seeing people unable to shelter in place because they have nowhere to go.
0: Exactly. With a public health crisis like this pandemic that we have, it's in everyone's interest to keep people housed in some way. Uh, Let me go to caller Linda in Ventura next. Hi, Linda, join us.
1: Hi, thank you for taking my call. I want to start by saying I definitely want renters to have protections and for the whole community to have stability. It just seems that the method does not promote stability when renters won't need to prove in any way that they've been affected uh, monetarily. Um, but then for the landlord who's lost income, not necessarily mortgage, maybe it's an older person who's paid off their home many years ago and now uses that money for prescription medicine, uh, they have to jump through a bureaucratic hoops to get the relief. It seems like there's a more direct way, for example, the renters to apply for renter assistance and the state to give that Um, I'm just wondering about the stability and the justification for how it's being handled.
0: Linda, thanks. It's a good point, Sam Levin. I mean, can you remind us what kind of evidence that tenants have to provide uh, if they're unable to pay rent, right? It has to be linked to the coronavirus, correct?
1: That's correct. I mean, I think different counties and cities have different rules around that. At the state level, ultimately, the burden does fall to tenants to maintain documentation of their inability to pay due to coronavirus, whether that's because they've become sick or lost work as a result of the shutdown or had to take care of family members. And so they are supposed to maintain that documentation. At this early stage, they have to inform landlords that they cannot pay because of COVID and then have that document in place to, to prove it later. And I think the point is that, you know, the eviction rules and protections as they exist now, create a situation in which tenants would have to go to court and potentially defend themselves down the road um, in an eviction case and have that documents on hand. And so there are questions about how that's actually going to work in practice.
0: Well, Larry writes, some landlords don't have mortgages anymore, but their living expenses are funded by rental income and Social Security. In the meantime, they may have a vacancy they can't fill owing to the pandemic or have tenants who can't afford to cover even their rent-controlled monthly rent. Richard writes, why do landlords need all of these tax advantages when the tax system already gives them many advantages? Deductions, write-offs, accelerated depreciation, etc. Let me go to Jonathan in San Francisco. Hi, Jonathan. Join us.
1: Yeah. Hi. Thank you. Um,
0: I'm just wondering if if we have eviction protection in place that keeps landlords from kicking people out of their apartments, uh, why can't we talk about putting some sort of foreclosure protection in place for those uh, real estate people who are in the apartment business and renting out uh, and just tell the banks and the other people that hold their mortgages that they can't foreclose and then Kick this whole thing down the road a little bit longer and, um, you know, until we can sort of ride out the storm and figure out how to financially deal with the situation. Joe Fitzgerald-Rodriguez, there were some foreclosure protections, particularly in the earlier stimulus bills that the federal government backed for, say, homes that are guaranteed by a federal agency. Do you know what kinds of protections exist for people who are facing foreclosure amid the pandemic for coronavirus-related reasons?
2: Well, th- this is why, you know, the, that's, this is why Chu's bill is including that forbearance and that delayed payments. But it's really tough because you know, you can, it's really hard to divide in in law, you know, a small-time landlord who may be facing the problems that the callers and writers are describing versus a corporate uh, corporate landlord who may own multiple units, uh, not multiple units, multiple buildings with multifamily units. Uh, it's, it's really hard to divide that. So it's, it's harder to craft protections that focus on one group while not, you know, allowing kind of like carte blanche for another group. Right. Um, but the but choose bill does include that that forbearance.
0: And, and they are trying to figure out a way to distinguish between small and very big corporate landlords like you are mentioning. I think the other question that that Jonathan is raising is just in terms of the state's power to be able to force banks not to foreclose, especially banks out of state.
2: Right. You know, state, the state cannot supersede on that federal law. So that makes it a lot more difficult.
0: Well, let me go to Jean and Ventura. Hi, Jean. Hi. So we own commercial property in which the tenant is continuing to operate, owes us hundreds of thousands of dollars and refuses to pay. We're elderly. It is our main source of income. Our hands are tied. This man will never be or this People
1: will never be able to pay us all the money they owe us. What do we do?
0: Jean, I mean, I think what she's underscoring here, Sam Levin, is sort of the big question. I, I guess one thing I'd like to ask you is, Jean, is if if the proposal that's being put forward that would give landlords tax credits to make up for missed rent payments, if that would work for you?
1: Yeah, before those tax credits would be used.
0: Sorry, say that again.
1: We would be dead before
0: those tax credit would be, credits would be used. We're elderly. What,
1: what good are those tax credits to us when we can't pay our medical bills?
0: Jean, thanks. I'm so sorry to hear that situation. At the same time, this is basically exactly what uh, the lawmakers are trying to address, right? Uh, uh, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, in terms of just the pain being felt across the board,
2: yeah, the the pain is in incredible across the state. Every everyone I talk to in the Bay Area, um, from renters to landlords, everyone's hurting. That's that's the that's the problem here, and we see that in the numbers. We see that in the poll survey. Um, that you know, it's things are getting more and more dire, and you know, folks are are really desperate.
0: Well, Curtis writes, the unemployment crisis will have far-reaching consequences if the federal government doesn't step in. Residential and commercial landlords will face a tsunami of defaults and consequently mortgage companies, lenders and investors will be negatively impacted. Rent payments are just the tip of the financial iceberg. Earlier, Sam Levin, you talked about what to do for people facing significant amounts of debt and in particular proposals to even cancel rent potentially for renters. First, can you describe what you're learning about the feasibility of something like that? And then what landlords are supposed to do? I mean, they can't just eat all that cost, right?
1: Correct. Um, There's been big pushes to cancel rent at local, state and federal level across the country. That's sort of the rallying cry of a lot of tenant groups at this moment. Um, I think some of the resistance at the local level we've heard to that is that these proposals of cancelling rent would essentially lead to immediate litigation and could, you know, make the state or the city or the county liable if they were to lose that litigation. And so there are questions about how that would play out down the road. I think big picture, what tenant groups are calling for is a bailout similar to the bailouts that we've seen of other major industries. And obviously at the federal level, that would be the simplest way to do that. That being said, we're not seeing any likelihood that in this current administration that anything close to that would happen at the federal level. Um, But I think the sort of thinking behind it is that canceling rent is sort of the only feasible solution we can have at this point because otherwise you have mass homelessness, mass displacement, um, which is just an incredibly costly uh, endeavor. And so I think there are ways to pair canceling rent with mortgage you know forbearance and forgiveness as well um, and and you know having the banks eat those costs essentially. I, I
2: think this would this also kind of brings to to like one huge disparity in that that California is struggling with is that you know the the federal government has a much larger power of the purse power to produce money, whereas the state can only really deal with the 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 budget it's bringing in and the budget it has to spend. So that really hamstrings the state's efforts in what it can do
0: so tell me what you think is the likely outcome here, especially. I mean, in the next like 10 days, right? Because you're talking about, Sam Levin, uh, a Judicial Council moratorium that would sunset August 14th at this point. I mean, I don't know what the chances are that the Judicial Council could extend that. You have lawmakers who are meeting on August 12th, two days before this deadline, to be able to try to address some of the issues that we're hearing today from our callers and commenters. Where does that go from here? Will they be able to hammer out something that is a long-term and effective solution?
1: I think it's really complicated. As Joe was saying earlier, You know, th- these questions are very complex and not easy to sort out in, in 10 days. So I think there is a push right now to get the Judicial Council to extend their protections in place. And, and what the Judicial Council's protections do is just stop the actual enforcement of evictions. So stop the courts from issuing summons that allow sheriffs to go in and enforce an eviction. And so I think in terms of what I'm hearing from tenants is tenants groups is that, you know, they want to see that extended to stop the immediate, you know, you know, forced eviction of potentially hundreds of thousands of people across the state to at least give the state more time to hammer out these legislation longer term, which, you know, they have to do something. Lawmakers have to do something about this crisis for for all Californians. And so something has to give, but it's unclear whether that can be done in the short time frame we have.
0: Because as you reported, Sam Levin, there was a county that was still allowing those kinds of cases to move forward, right? Eviction cases.
1: Correct. Yeah, Imperial County um, was one county that actually was essentially the courts were violating the judicial council order and so the courts had issued summons even though they were not supposed to do that under that order and sheriffs were actually carrying out evictions there so that was sort of the most extreme example of a county and a an, you know place where evictions were absolutely taking place in violation of the orders that exist. Um, however, there are all sorts of other ways that, you know, evictions are are happening despite protections in place.
0: If you had to say there was one hopeful or optimistic sign coming out of this, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, what would you say?
2: You know, I would say that the, you know, the level of organizing, the level of uh, tenants, supporting tenants has been really startling to see. Like I was just speaking with some tenants of a corporate uh, landlord uh, uh, Mosser, who had banded together, you know, uh, more than thirty tenants across uh, their apartment building, and they're all supporting each other in terms of food and housing, and a real a real community. And we're while that has always existed, we're seeing that expand,
0: and uh, even more of an understanding of the longstanding problems that we've had here in California in terms of housing and the high cost. Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, thanks so much for talking with us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Report and producer for KQED, Sam Levin, Los Angeles correspondent for The Guardian. Thanks to you as well for your insights. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for their questions, comments. Ariana Prael and uh, Blanca Torres produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening.